0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. you got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Number five, number what is leadership like in today's football world?
1: I've got high hopes for this podcast episode because I just spent the last couple of hours slicing and dicing Jeffrey Lurie's press conference from... What to us is last night. I am David Murphy, Philadelphia Daily News columnist, joined by Inquirer columnist Mike Sielski for your latest edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. And we are recording here at 801 Market Street on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It's not so beautiful in this windowless office.
2: No, but uh, you know, having just the, the knowledge that there is sunshine out there is enough for me.
1: Anytime I know you're out there, I know there's sunshine out there, and that's enough for me.
2: We need to get you a girlfriend, man.
1: So Jeffrey Lurie spoke with the media gathered in Phoenix, Arizona. Is it? Yeah. Um, I know it's in the Western Time Zone. Scottsdale, Phoenix. Because the press briefing occurred at eight p.m. The much hyped, much hyped. There's nothing. Briefing.
2: There's nothing that gets people in the Philadelphia area more excited than hearing somebody talk about a team that they're involved with. Absolutely. Um, I mean,
1: we had like three advances alone on philly.com. I know. This press conference. And Hey, I was interested to hear the guy talk because he has not talked in a year. And uh, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but a lot has happened. You don't uh, say in the life of the Eagles. The last time Jeffrey Lurie met the media, He still wasn't even necessarily admitting Howie Roseman was in charge.
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) Sam Bradford was ostensibly the starting quarterback. They had
1: yet they had yet to to, I believe they had yet to hire Joe Douglas because this Mm -hmm. was before the draft. Right. They had yet to draft Carson Wentz. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what? I don't even know if they traded for. I'm not sure they had either at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. It's
2: you know I mean although on the other hand it's been kind of typical of the Eagles over the last few years. There's. If nothing else, there's been upheaval and change in virtually every offseason.
1: Well, I went through Jeffrey Lurie's press conference while you were getting the kids ready for school or whatever they're doing these days. <laughs> um, and I highlighted some snippets okay. that I thought were among the more relevant. Okay. And I wanted to get your reaction on that.
2: All right. Bring it.
1: And I'm gonna I'm try ready to react. I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna try to do this in like a level headed. I, I don't wanna be like this is me, personally. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of talking to myself, Dave okay. Murphy, here in the mirror. Because I tend <laughs> to, like... Jeffrey Lurie brings out the snarkiness in me. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't take much. It's going to be very, very hard to keep it on. But but it brings out the snarkiness in me because the guy just... Right. Now, just, now,
2: we're talking about what he said Tuesday night in Phoenix. We are not talking about the essay in Time Magazine, no. in which he vowed to combat institutional racism no. and partisan gridlock in no, Washington. No, no, no. I did not read that. Okay. Um,
1: just making sure. But... Listening to him talk, he probably thinks Carson Wentz is capable of. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Lurie. This is the first time he's talking about Carson Wentz ever. Yes. Really, uh, it, it's really hard to believe. But he, <laughs> well, he's no talked
2: I, about it. He just not, has not made them made the comments available to the ears of those of us. Yeah, him. he hasn't
1: spoken publicly. Right. I mean, they April twenty first was when they acquired that that pick from the Browns, and the last time Lurie met with the media was March sixth, I think, last mm-hmm. year. So, so this is the first time we've gotten his insight on the whole. Not only just the trade, the hiring mm-hmm. of Joe, everything. Right. And remember last year when the trade first went down because they had already signed San Bradford. Mm-hmm. You know, they looked like they were going in that direction. Right. It was it was a shock, and we weren't really sure what was
2: the motivation. Why? Why and you do and it I? Now.
1: They just. It seemed like they weren't really necessarily a team uh, with a direction, and and Lurie kind of finally confirmed that this was kind of his vision yeah. that they were pursuing. Um, you know, how he kind of comes across in this press conference is kind of like a, uh, it's almost like a Rasputin or like a, uh, <laughs> you know, Mr. Burns and, and uh, Smithers. Smith, uh,
2: He's the consigliere, basically. Yeah,
1: like this isn't, this is, this is almost like, well, we're going to talk about this. Okay. So here, here's what, what Jeffrey Lurie said about their philosophy heading into the off season last year.
0: The whole thing was keyed to Um, Can we, at some point, without tanking, which you don't do in football, uh, acquire or have any access to getting a franchise quarterback? Uh, They don't come around very often. Uh, You hope you pick well when they do, but how do you even get to that? Because usually a team that's uh, finished with the worst record or the worst two records in the league, um, their basic problem is they have no quarterback. So. we looked at the quarterbacks that were in that class, but we also looked at the quarterbacks that were coming up in this class, and we even looked at 2018, and um, it was, uh, you know, I give our guys a tremendous amount of credit for identifying a very special um, player and person and athlete who, uh, he has a lot of the ingredients we're looking for. and. Uh, we made the move, and the rest is history, and we'll all see how it all plays out over the years, because you never know.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, my reaction to that is, in a way, reassuring, because I do feel like our theory was confirmed, that it was Lori who was kind of driving the bus here, saying, we need to go get a franchise quarterback, okay. so let's go do that. Good. Okay? I'm glad to hear you say that, because that yep.
1: was my reaction as well.
2: Um, the second thing is, the...
1: Although my go ahead, my purpose in life is not necessarily self-indication. So
2: I need to be re—I I need, need some reaffirmation reassured. every day. I already now know I'm
1: right. I don't need. I don't need the. When you
2: have children and you get treated by <laughs> your children the way that young children treat their parents, trust me, you need some reaffirmation sometimes. See, see, yeah. I told you you were gonna die if you played in traffic. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing. And I have that, no children. Yeah, <laughs> that we know of. Um, anymore. So so that's one. Number two is the idea that. The, I, I find it curious and I've written about this in the last couple of days that in a way the Eagles and Lurie in particular felt that they kind of could leapfrog the team building process by going to get a quarterback and doing whatever they needed to do to get it short of quote unquote tanking.
1: I'm pointing my finger at you because, yes, you nailed it and you kind of are, are setting up the um, future clips here.
2: Yeah, um, in, in that. And so let's yeah. stop. So All right, stop there. So yeah. to
1: make it so to make it clear, because because I've kind of a heck of a lot of crap from people mm-hmm. over the last year for not being negative necessarily, but but skeptical, skeptical. It, it, this whole thing has has thrust me into a weird situation. The way I think, because I love Carson Wentz, and I was very. Mm-hmm. Outspoken about that before the Eagles even traded up for him. I right. thought Carson I, I knew there was gonna be a team yeah. that fell in love with Carson Wentz. You know, he he on tape on college tape, he looks exactly like he looked last year, you know, a little bit faster, but whatever. Um so yes, I think Carson Wentz is going to be at minimum a good NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think that they've they've he is a type of guy. If you are going to make a move like the Eagles did last year, mm-hmm. He's the kind of guy you do it for. You don't do it for Jared Goff, right? Uh,
2: you don't think that you do it for anybody in this upcoming. I would. Draft. No, I wouldn't draft. spend,
1: any I wouldn't draft a quarterback in this year's draft other than Deshaun Kaiser with one of my first three round picks. Okay, it, I would not take Deshaun Watson until the fourth round. I would not take Mitch Trubisky to the fourth round. Deshaun Kaiser, if I was eighteen, I think Deshaun Kaiser could end up being one of those guys like a Joe Flacco, like a Ben Roethlisberger, like okay. a Dak Prescott, where a team in the latter third. Of the uh, first round, Mm -hmm. like a Broncos or a Texans, he could be a guy that ends up being very good because Mm -hmm. he gets drafted into a good situation. Right. Uh, But I would not at all spend a top 15 pick on any quarterback in this year. This is like the E.J. Manuel year where Mike Glennon was the best quarterback in hindsight to come out of it. All right, so back to the Eagles. So, what... Just How did I get started on that?
2: You're talking about you're conflicted. And okay, so, so
1: I do think Carson Wentz is very, very good, mm-hmm. and any team that has him should be very excited. Mm-hmm. But the trade still to me, like you said, they they gave up so many resources, and like I just don't know that it was the time to do that. Like Carson Wentz, was, I loved Andrew Luck too, mm-hmm. but like there's just not it didn't make sense for a lot of teams to trade their entire team. And Andrew Luck is seeing it even right now where, you know, if you don't, if you don't have something in place for this guy or, you know, build around it, you know, you're going to be very, anyway, Jeffrey Lurie talks about all this. So let's Let's, get on to the next. I'm trying to think which one um, is the logical stepping stone for that. Um, Here, let's listen to what Jeffrey Lurie said here.
0: Whenever you have a really good quarterback around the league, if you watch, it takes a very patient, disciplined approach. Short-term solutions to get to 10 and 6 or whatever quickly with that quarterback are non-sustainable. You've got to draft well. You have to have multiple drafts uh, in a row, hopefully, in where you're surrounding that quarterback on all sides of the ball, and that's the formula. It's not that complicated. It's hard to accomplish, but it's not that complicated. As an owner, I've got to be really patient, and at the same time, I'm very competitive uh, we'll make moves that will make us better this year. However, we won't make a move where it's going to cost us flexibility or ability to use resources in future years because we're in the mode where we're not one player away. We have lots of holes. Um, and you've got to recognize that first. We have lots of holes. And um, we have to draft really well uh, over the next few years to accomplish what we want to accomplish early on in Carson's career
1: so do you see why I was stuttering a little bit because like anyway what, what was your reaction? my
2: reaction was the conflict between his thinking that they're going to have more flexibility in the years to come when some of the moves they've already made you know they want to maintain flexibility and they want to be um, not make short-term moves and the conflict In some of the moves they've already made this offseason, i.e., Alshon Jeffrey. Um, You know, you've written about this very, very compellingly and very smartly. Signing Alshon Jeffrey actually gives you less flexibility at the wide receiver position. Because as you've pointed out, if in the best case scenario, he catches every jump ball that Carson Wentz throws up to him, catches 85 passes for 1,400 yards, becomes, you know, plays 16 games. What then? Then you have to re sign him, presumably. Are you really going to let him walk away? Well,
1: even let's stop that. Yeah. Okay. Keep keep that thought in mind. So, okay. But, so, Go ahead. A, is that really helping Carson Wentz's development if you give him this theoretically once in a generational receiver who can do all of that and then he leaves? You almost have to pay. You're almost essentially, it's like it's such a mind F whatever. <laughs> like screw you almost even though it's a one-year deal you're almost putting yourself in a situation where if you actually do want to reap the rewards of this guy helping carson Wentz's development you have to sign him then right because right
2: because otherwise
1: he's going to be trying to do all the stuff he did with alshon jeffrey with whoever replaces alshon jeffrey so what's the difference between that and signing him to a long-term deal
2: right and once you decide okay this is working so well that we have to sign him to a long-term deal then you have lex flex lex Flexibility at that position moving forward. Do you then resign Jordan Matthews? You know, are you able to keep Torrey Smith? What you know, do you? And if it doesn't work out, as you said, if if Jeffrey isn't everything you know that they hope he's going to be, then you're starting over at the position. And he
1: hasn't helped Carson Wentz's development. So you're. It's almost like it's like a tautology, right? Mm-hmm. Is that tautology like self-evident? Yes. It's like either he doesn't help Carson Wentz's development because he's not good mm-hmm. and he's not the player you thought he was or the only way he does car- help Carson Wentz's development is for you to re-sign him. Right. And after decrease- that first year, otherwise Carson Wentz, you know, you're going to be bringing in uh uh you know, Jordan Matthews and Carson Wentz is going to be throwing to him like he was throwing to Alshon Jeffrey, and it's not going to work right. because not he's work. not Alshon Jeffrey. Right. Right. It's just like like do you guys if you guys would just like diagram this on a whiteboard your thought <laughs> process before as you you know like it's just like so everything has been circular about the the thinking of this front office. Yeah. And I'm trying not to be too hard on them. And I do like a lot. Again, I like Carson Wentz. I like Joe Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I understand a lot of what they've done. Um, but it just doesn't. The logic is lacking that you want that you I would want to see out of a leader who I am going to have faith in. Like right. just the logic that Lurie employs throughout this press conference. You know, it's a lot of logic we've heard from Howie Roseman at times. You know, I think either Howie whispers to Jeff. You know, mm-hmm. Lurie regurgitates what Howie says to him because it sounds good, or vice versa. But either way, um, they're they're like the same mind, right? You know, right. and and it just doesn't. There's there's an inherent, fundamental, lack of logic, or a, a logical break in their their reasoning that underlies everything. And I'm gonna play some more uh, that that hopefully gives. Gives some evidence of of what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. I mean, that's
2: and that's what you. But it goes do. back
1: to what you were saying about the leapfrogging thing, where, like, like look, a, look, look. First of all, I wholeheartedly disagree with the notion that you have to have patience with a young quarterback. The young quarterbacks that Jeffrey Lurie is using as his evidence for why they a, a team needs a quarterback. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl in his sec- second second year. Yep. Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl in his second or third year as a starter. Mm-hmm. Joe Flacco, what? There's a long list. Most of these quarterbacks it was in
2: his fourth or fifth year. Most of these quarterbacks but was a
1: playoff. But but what, most of these quarterbacks won, won it. And you you put this very, um, you know, you kind of rattled through this this litany, mm-hmm. um, in your column on on Monday. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Roethlisberger was in his second season uh, when they won the Super Bowl. I believe. Yes. Yes. Like that 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 completely contradicts the logic. Right. And when you look, said look they're look, trying to when you said they're trying to leapfrog and do it backwards, everything that Lurie said there makes sense. And I think it's why people don't necessarily catch on to the this logic or illogic of it, because it, it makes everything he says makes sense. It's the conclusion that doesn't make sense. You're supposed to have all those drafts. The teams that have done it most successfully have, have had all of those drafts before they've drafted the quarterback right now your trade first of all and again it's self-evident because to get Carson Wentz you had to give up Mm -hmm. a lot of those bullets in the draft and then you're starting from reverse you know if it was this easy if the logic was that you know unassailable every team in the league would be trying to trade up for exactly. a franchise quarterback, you know?
2: Oh, here's an example and it, and it's I hinted at it in the column, but let's let we could take a deeper dive with it. Take the Atlanta Falcons, okay? They had Michael Vick. Right. And they had a team that had been built around Michael Vick. They had him for long enough that they were able to kind of get to a point you're in an you know, an NFC championship game against the Eagles. You know, he's hurt sometimes, but he's basically your starting quarterback. The whole dogfighting thing happens and they hire, Bob, they hire a bad head coach in Bobby Petrino. And bad the bottom, guy. Bad guy. The bottom falls out. Okay? They end up with the third pick in the 2008 draft.
1: This is like dramatic irony listening to you, by the way. Uh, and you'll find out why in a second. Okay. Go on.
2: They end up with, the, I guess it's the third pick in the 08 draft, and they get Matt Ryan. They immediately go back to being a playoff team with Matt Ryan as a rookie. You know, his first year. They're, why are they a playoff team? it because Matt Ryan is so incredibly good his first year no he throws about 14 16 touchdowns 11 interceptions it's because they have a pretty good team around him and he's even for a rookie able to step in right away and play and play well all right well I'm going to stop you right there okay
1: because this is not how Jeffrey Lurie saw right situation unfold. and I'm gonna let's let Jeffrey Lurie explain to you
0: how he saw the Matt Ryan situation Um, you know Matt Ryan's done one hell of a job and has had a great career uh, finally got to the Super Bowl in, I don't know, age 30, 31, and um, they've had a lot of ups and downs. I think the year before, were they 6-10 and 10 or something like that? Had a great year. They've they've got a great young coach, and they've been patient and realized that uh, it's not about changing quarterbacks. It's just surrounding them well with depth and smart thinking, and that's our strategy.
1: So you see, what the Falcons actually did yeah. was – Hit rock bottom, draft Matt Ryan, and then patiently and steadfastly stick build with the him. stick with him, build the talent around him, focus on the long term, <laughs> be okay with losing, you know, going six and ten, but but finally it, it ends up paying off.
2: Boy, you can you can make anything, you can turn anything into twisted in any way you want it. The fa- here's the thing about the Matt Ryan example, okay. They get to the playoffs his first year. By his fourth year, they're in the NFC Championship game, literally one play away from going to the Super
1: Bowl. This isn't reality with Jeffrey Lurie. Right.
2: The reason that they bottomed out after that, they missed the playoffs, I think, three or four straight years, in part was because they paid the price for going to get help for Matt Ryan. All right. They gave up.
1: Hold five? that thought. Let's let, let's focus on the, okay. the the quote unquote fake news part of this. Okay. <laughs> Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons went fifty six and twenty two in his first five seasons in the NFL. They went eleven and five when he was a rookie. They went nine and five in his fourteen starts in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. He missed a couple. They went thirteen and three in two thousand ten. Ten and six in 2011, and in 2012, they not only went 13 and three, but they went to the a, NFC the championship, championship, game. championship game.
2: Yes, where with a br- with basically an injured shoulder, Ryan got them to and, and the, a touchdown and getting to the Super Bowl.
1: 2012 that w- was essentially the season they had this year. The only difference being. The Falcons defense well actually Yeah. The only difference between the Falcons defense pooped all over itself in the NFC Championship game. <laughs>
2: as opposed to the Super Bowl. As opposed to the Super Bowl. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's he, not what this gentleman just said. No.
2: No. He 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 portrayed it as
1: sticking by the It wasn't about changing quarterbacks, they said. Right. He said. Right. It, actually it was, apparently, because they went eleven and five after they drafted Matt Ryan. And he stepped into a talented team. And, and please try to make sense of this. Well, I can't
2: make sense of it. I can't make sense of it. And the part that he's leaving out, and the part that I think we, you know, I was just, you know, about to get to a couple seconds ago is he was that, like, you know, cough, cough,
1: ups and downs. <laughs> part of the it reason, was a five year stretch yeah. where Matt Ryan could have won an MVP, and the Atlanta Falcons were perennially Super Bowl contenders, Super Bowl contenders and very easily could have been in the Super Bowl. In 2012.
2: Yes, and part of the reason that run ended Mm -hmm. was because they made a major move to make things easier on their quarterback. That is, they gave up five draft picks to get Julio Jones. Now, I'm not suggesting that Julio Jones is a bad player. I'm not suggesting that he's not the, the best wide receiver in football. I think he probably is, okay? But there was a cost to that, and the cost was you cost yourself five picks, and... In I believe 2012 or 2013, the Falcons literally did not draft anyone who stayed on the roster for more than two years. Okay, and those are the kind of drafts and results in the kind of drafts that can kill a franchise for three years. Which okay?
1: is the exact length of time that they did. I'm I'm just trying to right. narrate your uh, commentary here. Yeah, because you've got the, the in 2013 in front of you. they they went after after 13 and three in 2012, very nearly making the uh, Super Bowl. And again, through no very little fault of Matt Ryan, mm-hmm. he played ex- very well in mm-hmm. that whole run. Uh, in 2013, they went four and twelve. This was the year I believe Julio Jones got hurt. Mm-hmm. I think t- 2012 was his rookie year. Yeah. And let's, let's let's be clear: Julio Jones has helped this team. Oh yeah. But he's also an example of how it's very hard for even a player, a transcendental player like Julio Jones, it's very hard to win and build a winning roster when you give up multiple assets mm-hmm. for that one even if he's a transcendental transcendental player. So, right. so for in 2013 they went 4 and 12. Uh 2000 or 2013 they went 4 and 12, 2014 they went 6 and 10, and then 2015 they went 8 and 8. Mm-hmm. And then 2016. So really they've had two losing seasons in Matt Ryan's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years yeah. in the NFL. This, if, to listen to Jeffrey Lurie talk, this will be number two for Carson Wentz. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, w- what I would argue, and this goes, this this kind of takes it more towards opinion and less. This is, everything we've said so far is objective. This is reality. Mm-hmm. This is just. Right. This is what actually happened right. as opposed to Jeffrey Lurie's view of it. Um. Now, subjectively, I would argue that in addition to the Julio Jones situation and giving up multiple tracks mm-hmm. draft picks for a guy like that, it takes a while to rebuild your talent base after that. Yeah, I would argue that, in fact, what was wrong with the Falcons during those five years and why they couldn't get over the top is because a, a quarterback as good as Matt Ryan can overshadow a lot of flaws mm-hmm. that your team has. And I think Andrew Luckin... Indianapolis Colts are the perfect example of it mm-hmm. Aaron uh, Rodgers and Green Bay you know, he makes up for one. like yeah. Peyton Manning I don't know that Bill Polian was ever a good front office guy you mm-hmm. know I mean you he had one of the top three quarterbacks of, of all time well, he, and was they pre- won- he was
2: good before that with Buffalo I mean he built a pretty yeah, that's, that's, good team but that's in that's that's pre. the, that's the, the NFL free is two different yeah you're you right. know, like Tom Donahoe was very
1: good yeah before yeah. that's fair before uh that's fair they actually went to the Super Bowls um but regardless we're getting we're getting off track okay I would argue that Mike Smith was not a good head coach. Okay. And the Falcons could never – he was supposed to be a defensive guy. They never built a defense uh, capable of stopping anybody. Mm-hmm. And they let the offensive line go into disarray. It wasn't until they hired um, – who did they hire? Uh, Dan Quinn? Yeah, it wasn't until Dan Quinn they finally you know, started mm-hmm.
2: to – Straighten themselves out.
1: So whatever. So I would argue that what Matt Ryan actually shows – the lesson of Matt Ryan's career is that you need a a at least a you need a good offensive line and a good defense or even the best quarterback mm-hmm. is going to struggle. Yeah, and I think Tom Brady showed that during his you know the Patriots missing years there between 2004 and 2012. Uh, you know the difference with that team over these last three years and those years before that they had one of the best offenses in NFL history, but probably the best offense in NFL history that year with Randy Moss mm-hmm. and they. You know, it was a fluke that they lost the Super Bowl, but they still ended up losing. And, right. you know, from that point on, it was their defense. It wasn't until they got El Revis, you know, mm-hmm. Akib Talib. You right. know, there's a reason why Bill Belichick, who doesn't spend a lot of money on a lot of things, spent a lot of money on Stefan Gilmore mm-hmm. this offseason. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why Dural Revis might be coming back this year. There's a reason why, you know, Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan were such big pieces of that team. He, you need a defense.
2: Yeah. No, and the flip side of that is to look at the two Giants teams that beat Brady in the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, it's Eli Manning played very, very well in those stretches. But, you know, that second Super Bowl run, th- that NFC Championship game between the 49ers and the Giants was a bloodbath of defense. Um, you know, both Alex Smith and Eli just getting smoked the whole game. And look at what happened to the Giants after that Super Bowl, that second Super Bowl. They, they basically bottomed out from a, right. you know, from the playoff standpoint, in large part because their defense you know, eroded. It, it didn't matter that Odell Beckham, they drafted Odell Beckham, yeah. who's the most spectacular receiver, if exactly. not the best, in the in the league right now. That's going and getting a good quarterback, a weapon, and it didn't make a difference until this past offseason when they revamped their defense again and became a playoff team again. Well, so,
1: so look, the concerning, one of the concerns, if I were an Eagles fan, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not an Eagles fan, like, I grew up an Eagles fan. I'm right. just, like, not a fan. I'm a fan right. of... I'm really not a fan of any. I'm a fan of football, mm. but I would love to see the Eagles win a Super Bowl because it would be great for be, the city no, and be a I, hell of a I, thing to I come would rather to, yeah. them be good than I, I like yeah. seeing them do well. I, it's a hard difference to understand, but like I do, I, I do enjoy it when the Eagles are good. It Put makes it that everything.
2: Way. L- anytime you cover a team that does well, it generally makes everything easier. You end up, you know,
1: well getting better like, stories. I just think, like, whatever, I mean, it'd be yeah, great for the city. Like I you yeah. know, like I I'm not out to like see the Eagles. You know, the problem is you can be you can. People get blinded into, like, blindly thinking everything that their favorite team does is is awesome. When in reality, like, you'd be better served holding their feet to the fire a little bit and making them better. Right. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. that's. Well, I would argue that's part of the reason the Cubs went as long as they did mm-hmm. uh, without winning a World Series. Just because, you know, who was telling them that, no, you guys are doing it completely wrong? Too right. many people were out in the bleachers having a beer, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon at Wrigley.
1: So the one very big concern for me would be this formula that they seem to have identified as the way to win you know even after Carson Wentz gets good their idea is if you have Carson Wentz and you give him a big wide receiver that he can just throw the ball up to like that's the, that's your formula but like how many playoff games did Calvin Johnson win yeah you know like how many games have I, I'm a huge wide receiver fan, but like, how many games has AJ Green won? Mm-hmm. Those two, you're not going to get a receiver better than AJ Green or Calvin Johnson over these next, right? You know, you're just not going. to... They're once in a generation players.
2: Yeah, it, it, to me, in a way, I think they're taking. They, they keep harkening back to 1999 and 2000 with Reed and McNabb, and
1: I wonder if. And that was the big mistake they made. It was.
2: It was a. It was a mistake, but I almost think they're they're taking the wrong lesson from it in that once they had McNabb in place, that really allowed Joe Banner to kind of uh, implement his strategy of, hey, we can let a guy go a little bit too early because he'll cost more, and then we can go out and find a suitable replacement. And because we have Donovan there, we will, if we're smart about who we keep and who we get rid of, we'll always kind of be there, all right? Now, part of that is they had other pieces in place that you had – you know, a right tackle and a left tackle who were terrific and weren't going anywhere. You had a safety and cornerbacks, whether it was uh, Bobby Taylor and Troy Vincent, whether it was Sheldon Brand and Lito Shepard, again, smart drafting plays a big role in this, who could stay outside and, and kind of anchor your defense. But the other part of that is that while, yeah, they did, they did make a mistake in not getting a better receiver or two for Donovan McNabb uh, while he was there, I also think that they were much more conscientious, it seems to me, then than they are now about maintaining the, the relative excellence of the team as a whole as opposed to no. going out. They, the lesson they seem to be taking now from that is we got to the Super Bowl because we got Terrell, Terrell Owens as opposed to, hey, we got the five NFC championship games because our overall team was really good for a, for a period of time. And we probably should have won another one of those championship games. Instead of saying, you know, hey, we got T.O., that was the apex, that was as close as we ever got, we got to go back to that again. And
1: don't forget, they, they had some bad luck, because that was, their, that was the window where everything kind of was coming together. Mm-hmm. I would argue they should have tried to get Donovan receivers before that, because in hindsight, their mm-hmm. window, you know, might have been those first five to seven years. Right. You know, as— it often seems to be the case. Yeah. Um
2: like don't waste the two thousand season with exactly. Charles Johnson and Torrance Small. Exactly. Go get somebody right then and there.
1: But if you can. Right. Exactly. And, and that's like that's and when in fa- now that's in when fa- that defense was at its most dominant right. Now you in know?
2: fairness, they you know, they drafted a second round wide receiver in two thousand. It was Todd Pinkston. He didn't contribute much that year. They draft Freddie Mitchell. They missed on that pick as well. Um Right. So if you want to But they were
1: very conscientious, like they wouldn't. They I remember the one understand. thing that was because fr- yeah. I was an Eagles fan back then. In fact, yeah. I worked for them for you know four mm-hmm. years, and the one thing that would frustrate me, even when I worked for them, was that they would not go out and make that big signing. That yeah, you know, mm-hmm. might have like screwed you a couple of years from now, but like yeah. you know, go out and get it. Right. You know, I can't think of a good example of the receiver, but like the Threlawns, essentially. Yeah. You know, it would, they traded for. They could, it for have, they him, could but, have done it at
2: linebacker right. if they'd kept Jeremiah Trotter instead of letting him go to, to Washington right. at the time. That was the. Strike now move. Yeah, we're going to overpay for him, but you know well, what? We, we, we can't afford to lose him.
1: And we also have to – yeah, I'd love to sit down and – like if Joe Banner ever writes a book, I'll definitely buy it. Oh, yeah. Because it would be interesting to listen to him, uh, you know, kind of – he seems to be a guy that will admit – at mm-hmm. least explain his faults. Right. You know, he's going to he's gonna be a ver- have a very, like, Henry Kissinger, you <laughs> know, memoir. Like it's yeah. a must-read.
2: But but the one thing we should point out, though, and I, and I and think the, it's – it, it, oh, Sorry, what I was going to say is yeah. the
1: NFL is completely different now than it was back. The business is completely yes. different. The salary cap is com- Back then, Joe Banner was the only one right. who Doing knew how that. to take advantage of the salary cap, whereas now everyone knows it. Because right. it's not that complicated. Right. It's just like you you had a bunch of, like, you know, offensive line coaches running front offices, <laughs> and, and they didn't necessarily know the numbers and 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 what they meant and how to manipulate them. But the draft was also very different uh, because of the contract structure, and that changed in 2011. Mm-hmm. But and anyway, I, would, and I
2: would also argue that the stage that the Eagles were that, the position they were in when McNabb stepped in is different from the one they're in now. Oh, absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. In, in that, you know, when McNabb stepped in, they had a defense that you could look at and say, this is a good defense, and it's going to get a little bit better, and, you know, we go out, we can go out and sign John Runyon to bookend him with Trey Thomas. Um, we're, we're fairly solid up front. That's different from this team now. I mean, they are, they are, they are acknowledging that yeah, we have the quarterback, but we have a lot of holes to fill around him. And the odds that you're going to fill all those holes well enough to get the team to where you want to go are less, you know, it's less likely that's going to happen, it seems to me, than having a situation where, for whatever reason, you've already filled most of those holes, and now all you have to do is plug in a quarterback who's competent.
1: Yes, I agree with you, and you mentioned this in your column that Mm -hmm. I referenced earlier, that that the— McNabb stepped into a better situation than Wentz stepped into. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And this was the 1998 Ray Rhodes' last year. This was Ray Rhodes' defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was on? Let's see. Not just defense. This was who was on the team. Greg Dawkins. Hugh Douglas. Brian Dawkins. What did I say? Greg. Who's uh, Greg? You have a uh, there's a Greg. Greg Jefferson on this oh, sheet okay. <laughs> is listed right below him. So I okay. must have. All right. So Brian Dawkins, Hugh Douglas, Troy Vincent, Hollis Thomas, Bobby Taylor, Al Harris, Brandon Whiting. That was their... I mean, that's... That's pretty good Lake right Reese. there. Yeah. Jeremiah Trotter. Um, so, I mean, they added... Who did they add to that?
2: Yeah. They didn't have to add anybody to right. that. They knew Dawkins was terrific. They knew Vincent was terrific. They knew Taylor was terrific. They knew Douglas was terrific. They had their
1: three corner... Three... The, the best... As far as I'm concerned, one of the best secondaries in NFL history, Troy mm-hmm. Vincent, uh, Bobby Taylor, Al Harris, all six feet and above, all, you know, mm-hmm. huge bodied. Very, very similar to... Honestly, they were as good as they—they they were a step a notch below the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. The only thing they did not have that secondary was well, let's just focus on the cornerbacks. The only thing they didn't have was a shutdown, shutdown, shutdown corner like like mm-hmm. Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I but would argue, Taylor and but argue between them,
2: they could handle anybody. Yeah, yeah.
1: they were—they were as the cornerbacks were as good, and mm-hmm. they Al Harris was.
2: The perfect third yeah. cornerback. You, you know perfect. what I'll
1: say they have more that that, that cornerback crew had more talent than the Seahawks in mm-hmm. aggregate. The only the, the biggest difference between the secondary as a whole was I mean Brian Dawkins was Cam Chancellor before Cam Chancellor was Cam Chancellor. Right. Like almost a clone. Mm-hmm. Um The only thing they didn't have was that second safety like Earl Thomas to right. like clean up that that's what you know mm-hmm. makes
2: see that's what made Seattle but so good. Yeah. They
1: also have a better let's see, so Hollis Thomas, that's a defensive tackle. Hugh Douglas, your defensive end. Um, Brandon Whiting was your other defensive end So so you have three of your four Defensive linemen mm-hmm. Your entire secondary Minus that Safety That second safety Which they you know rotated uh, Blaine Bishop Damon Michael Zordich Mi- Actually Moore. Michael Zordich was on here Damon yeah. Moore um, And then they had uh, The pieces Look the They, pieces had, they were, had From a defensive Jeremiah Tra- Like what did they add to that defense Like yeah. who was a like, Carlos Emmons At Car- some point Corey Simon Later on you okay. know,
2: um, a tackle. But, you know, but Emmons, that's my point, though, is that Emmons is the perfect example. We talked about him a little bit last week. Like, that's the perfect kind of example. When I've gotten pushback on what I've written and said about the Eagles situation now, well, what would you do differently? Well, in a way, like, I shouldn't be able to tell the Eagles what to do differently. Like, if, if what they're doing to try to build around Carson Wentz is to do the thing that any fan on the street would do, then there's something wrong with that. You know, I remember when they signed Carlos Emmons. I think everybody kind of looked around and went, really? Who's, like, is he that good? Who is this guy? I don't remember hearing about this guy very much. And then they watched him play, and it was like, oh my gosh, he's the perfect strong sideline backer in this defense. He can cover, he can rush the passer, he's physical, he's all those things. And it it was not about... It, as much as McNabb might have needed a wide receiver back then and they missed in trying to get him one, it was those kind of signings and getting a player like a Carlos Emmons that kept them at that level for right. as long as they were.
1: But let's let's forget even before that, like be, forget keeping them at that okay. level. Those first four years of the Donovan McNabb era, one could argue was their best chance to win a Super Bowl because mm-hmm. that defense, that was the only time that defense was truly dominant. Yes, they were very good throughout John Jim's up, but they were like Seattle level mm-hmm. dominant. Yeah,
2: um, everybody remembers the stat. When was the last time they gave up more than seventeen right, points? Right, exactly. Ravens game. level dominant. Yeah,
1: Donovan McNab, Donovan McNabb was not the reason why they. Uh, you know he he was the perfect. He was a good young quarterback at the good t- at the right time because for all he lacked as a passer. I mean, in those first four years, now we're counting two of those two of those NFC Championship games. Donald McNabb's passer rating between '99 and 2002 was 79.3, 56.9 completion percentage. Yeah. Um, missed, missed, um, missed a bunch of games. Six games the the set that second year. Yeah, this was all before the turnover uh, from Lita to to Lito yeah. and and Sheldon, Sheldon and yadi and Carl. You know all that stuff. So I, I I don't know that they're remembering history at all. Right.
2: That well. No, go back and look at like two thousand two, right? Leading into, you know, the the NFC championship game that everybody remembers that the loss against Tampa. When McNabb got hurt against the Cardinals and broke his foot, and then Koy Detmer came in for three quarters and A.J. Feely took over. AJ Feely becomes a folk hero in this town because the Eagles went four and one with him as a starting quarterback over the, the final five games of that regular season. Go look at his numbers over those five games mm-hmm. and look at the Eagles' defensive numbers over yeah. those five games. They beat the St. Louis Rams, I think, 10-3, to 7-3. to Their final regular season game, they lost to the Giants 10-7 to in overtime. I'll never forget this. A game in which they scored on their opening possession and did not score again. Mm-hmm. They... they beat the Redskins, they beat the Cowboys, they were scoring defensive touchdowns, special teams touchdowns, and shutting the other teams down. A.J. Feely became a folk hero on the backs of Hugh Douglas, Bobby Taylor, Troy Vincent, Brian Dawkins, etc. And again, that gets back to, I, I think you're right, I think the Eagles are misreading history. It's not that Donovan McNabb wasn't a good quarterback, and it's not that they didn't need him, but there was more there. And without that more which I don't think they have right now. Carson Wentz can can be as good as he wants to be. They're not going to stop anybody. Right. And they're and they're going to encounter problems because it's not just about the quarterback.
1: It's not. And so here's my and just as a disclaimer so no one misinterprets what I think what I'm thinking. If Carson Wentz is who I think he is, um and the Eagles don't totally, you know, implode around him at some point over the course of his 10 to 12 year career in the nfl at minimum they're going to be in a position to get to a super bowl mm-hmm. because at some point the dominoes are all going to fall correctly but i don't know that they will have maximized their chances of winning that super bowl for the same reason that i don't think that they did under donovan McNabb. you know i i almost think that they're taking the wrong lessons from the donovan McNabb era with well, the lesson of the dominic matt donovan McNabb era was if you got a good defense and a a young athletic quarterback who can make plays, Mm -hmm. get him playmakers because that's your time, you know? And, and yeah, you might have time later on as he develops into a better quarterback, Mm -hmm. but you don't know that. Mm -hmm. And all you know, it's much harder to build a great defense than it is, you know, to get a big wide receiver for your, your, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Case in point now, 2003. So this would be the third of those... Five right. NFC Championship games we constantly hear referenced as the reason why you need Donovan McNabb mm-hmm. or a young qu- or a quarterback. So this is the third of them. Yeah, we're already three three out of five in. Donovan McNabb had his worst season as an NFL quarterback, his yes. worst season since at least his rookie year. He threw sixteen touchdowns, started started all sixteen games, mm-hmm. had his lowest completion percentage to date, fifty seven point five, threw sixteen touchdowns against eleven interceptions. 201 yards per game, averaged or had a 79.6 quarterback rating for what that's worth and took 53 sacks in 16 games. The Eagles went 12-4 and and went to their third straight NFC Championship championship game. game. The next year was the year they got Terrell Owens. And it was what a lot of people like myself had clamored for. And all of a sudden, Donovan McNabb, you know, after that game, that was when people were really like, uh, I don't know if we're going to win with McNabb. That was when like the mm-hmm. the real criticism of the guy started because he wasn't running as much. And right, then they went out and got T O, and oh my goodness, look what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Don McNabb suddenly turned into. Now I think two things were going on. One, if you look at, you know, Brady, uh, Manning, Manning, most quarterbacks, Eli, mm-hmm. they take a huge. Step after their fifth season, mm-hmm. it seems like four or five years is when you really need. I mean, they're they're good, they're solid. You can win with them, but like I think Russell Wilson is going to like explode at some point mm-hmm. into like a r- truly MVP candidate type player. Mm-hmm. um And McNabb did. I think yeah. that was one. But then the other thing was they had Terrell. Long. He, they finally yeah. had a guy he had faith in. Right. McNabb's big problem his first four full seasons as a starter wasn't that he was inaccurate. His biggest problem was he did not have faith in his wide receivers and he would not throw into right. tight coverage uh unless they were wide open. Or yeah. they, they would not throw to him he would not throw to them unless they were wide open. And frankly, if you were throwing to James Thrash and, and Todd Pinkston and Todd you would probably feel the same way. Yeah. So, I think that there might have been shades of that in the Alshon Jeffries signing, mm-hmm. which again, it's a good listen to take that you need to give your quarterback, but is this the right time for that? You know, because you're not going to win. You know, as he said, you're not one player away. You still need to build that defense. Right. Um, right. And as the lesson that those early Don McNabb years did show is you can get to an NFC Championship game without a big wide receiver. You know, it's much more important to have a a solid defense. And you've said that, like, again, one of the, like, mind-boggling things that Lurie said in that first clip that we played was, like, you need a young quarterback, and he said this throughout the press conference. Yeah. No, in no other sport, you know, is is you know, one position so important. That's what he should have said. Mm-hmm. But what, and it's true, quarterback is the most important right. position in sports. But the reality is, it's not do or die because the Houston Texans, Bill Bryan is, O'Brien is about to get a contract extension, and he has not had a quarterback no. at all. No. Um, You know, again, I would argue Joe Flacco. The only reason we think Joe Flacco is great is because he happened to get to the Super Bowl that one year. You know, and and he had
2: four terrific games in a row.
1: But even, but forget that. Like Flacco's still like Mm -hmm. he's a solid quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, But look at some of these, like, like you know, Ryan Tannehill's the same Ryan Tannehill he was when the the Dolphins drafted him. But they went to the playoffs last year and had a good season. You know, why was that? Was it because? I mean, did you know? Was it because they got a better coach, maybe, and Adam Gase, and and right. you know, JHIA, and built that defense a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, Derek Carr. You see this all the time. Look at the, look at the
2: Steelers before Big Ben became their quarterback. They went to the playoffs with Cordell Stewart and Tommy Maddox. and Tommy Maddox. You know, the the Ravens before Flacco came along won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, made the playoffs with Anthony Wright and and the Ghost. I shouldn't say because he's passed away, but like. The, a very old Steve McNair. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were 13 and Let's three accept. that year. It's with, a good catch. Yeah. They were 13 and three with Steve McNair. A- and it wasn't because of Steve McNair. It was because they were the Ravens and they had Reed and Ray Lewis, et cetera, et cetera. Again, people want to say, okay, well, the Eagles will have time. They're going to take their time and draft and build a defense. First of all, they don't have that much time. They don't have that much time because by the time Wentz.
1: Gets to the point you basically have two more years to do this. You've got two, you have two draft cycles to surround a quarterback with talent.
2: Yeah. And draft like do. I
1: count draft cycle as four years. So okay. you have, all right. So you have maybe three years to get to, you know, mm-hmm. the Steelers have gone through three incarnations around Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the, uh, you know, Jerome Bettis, um, Willie. Parker, you know, ground to yeah. pound mm-hmm. version with that that original, you know, very good defense. Right. Then you had the Troy Palomalu, and maybe Palomalu was in that first yeah. one. But then you had the Santonio San uh, Holmes. You had and, the Santonio San Holmes, um, you know, Am- uh not Amos there, Antoine Randall L, Heinz yeah. Ward mm-hmm. version. And then you had you Antonio have this air it Brown. out, yeah. like the defense isn't that great, but you've got Antonio Davis, martavis Bryant, Antonio Lavia Bell. Brown. What did I say? Antonio An- Davis. Or Antonio yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, the but p- same thing with the with the Mc, same thing with McNabb. You can see there are there are three different iterations of, you know, when you think of the Eagles, you either think of that you know Hugh Douglas Trotter, mm-hmm. um, you know Troy Vincent Bobby Taylor, then you either think of then you had Brian Westbrook, um, Lido Shepard, Sheldon Brown, Sheldon Brown, you had that mm-hmm. team, and then you had uh, Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun McCoy, right. And uh, Jeremy Macklin, briefly, mm-hmm. you had that team. Right. With a defense that, you know... Wasn't very good. The Juan Castillo Express. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you have three cycles. You're yeah. already halfway through your first cycle here, yeah. after this draft. And the thing that I don't... So, that, so when Lurie talks about patience, like, that, to me, if you if you're an Eagles fan, that should concern you. Because... Yeah you can't have that much patience in the NFL because your first-round draft pick is going to be here four or five years before you have to pay him. Your, any other draft pick is only going to be here for four years before you have to pay them. Mm-hmm. And so you have four, you're you you're constantly building towards that fourth year, essentially. Right. right. Like Malcolm Jenkins and Brandon Graham, by the time we get, like, like put it this way, by the time we get to the point where, you know, we have to be patient, all of a sudden, you have to replace Brandon Graham, Malcolm Jenkins. Jenkins. Um, you know, we already have Jason Peters. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, Jason. Kel- you, you're seeing it; it's a constant turnover. Yeah, and it, it, that's not the philosophy I hear out of, out no. of it, these guys. No, like uh-huh. they, they, you know, it's almost like they have been listening to the praise of Hanky and Matt Clentak <laughs> and Ron Hextall. All, all three of whom play in sports where you do build that way Yeah. and thinking, you know, we're not, you know, that's the way we need to do it. And, you know.
2: <sighs> yeah, it's, it's different in the NFL. It just is. Um, you know, the, the notion, I think, the notion that, as you said, you wait for the quarterback to develop <sighs> it is at least in doubt, if nothing else. Because you right. can see Andrew Luck, you can see Matt Ryan, you know, it, it's a it's a dubious assertion that you have to wait for this guy to develop. Some of them, you, I'm sure you do, but not every one of them.
1: Well, don't, and, and see, there's the things, like, there's two conflicting thoughts. It does take, Andy Reid said it, you know, Les quoted him, Les Bowen of the mm-hmm. Daily News quoted him the other day, you know, at that breakfast saying, mm-hmm. like, you're going to see Carson Wentz take right. big jumps in each of his, which is true. I would argue you're probably going to see him tape, you're going to notice the jump most in aggregate, after three or four years, mm-hmm. um, you know yeah, he's going to expo- If you look at like go look through, you know Tom Brady, Eli Manning, and um, well, Tom Brady and Eli Manning are the the, the best. Th- ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. after year five, and I think you're seeing it with Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. After year five, there is a huge yep. spike, yeah. in. Statistical production mm-hmm. now stats aren't everything, but it, it, it's but kinda, something, but it's interesting. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, like Tom. Everyone forgets Tom Brady when they actually were their most at their most dominant was a game manager who was not slinging the ball like like no. you know same thing with Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. They had great defenses, good offensive lines, and great coaching. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those quarterbacks were good, but it wasn't until it, it, it's it's very counterintuitive because you see it with Aaron Rodgers now like yeah. he's it's only been the last 2 or 3 years that people have realized man this guy's one of the best of all time but guess what this is the last 2 or 3 years is when they've been furthest away from the Super Bowl right. at times right. you know right because
2: you see him having to do more to keep them well, part at, of it, just close to the level
1: it's economic in large part because after that fourth year you have to pay these guys 20 right. to 25 million dollars yes which again i think you're starting to see with Seattle you know once Russell Wilson signs that contract extension you yeah. have to start letting guys like I can't think of, like, Byron, I would say Byron Maxwell, but, um, you know, like, there was, like, take Richard Sherman. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's talk this, right. you know, they might be open to trading Richard Sherman. Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. um, You know, they got very, very Same, they were go, very fortunate. Go, that go, go back
2: to, go back to the Ravens and the Giants. Their offensive line. That yeah. would be the, that would be the, they had to trade away Max you know, Unger.
1: They had to let Russell Okon go.
2: Right. The Giants, you know, ran into some salary cap issues and, and in terms of, you know, keeping their defense up. Because they paid Eli Manning exactly, a, a, you know, a, a god's salary. Basically. So now we're
1: going into year two of Carson Wentz, and it's still we got to be patient. We've got a lot of holes. We're not one player away. Well, after year three, Carson Wentz starts waiting for that contract extension, yeah. and then after year, and right around year five, for for the rest of his career, you're you've got essentially $15 million less in spending room per year. Mm-hmm. You've got an AJ Boye at cornerback less per year in cap space yeah. for the rest of his career. You know? Yeah. Um, it's it's It would be a concern to me if you're looking at this. Like, to me, everyone, if you're an Eagles fan, you're looking at this in addition to, like, yeah, I want to watch it. You know, I want the team to be as competitive as possible. And you never know. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe Alsh- maybe Alshon Jeffrey is the truth, and, and yeah. you know, you know, maybe maybe that is what it takes. Um, but it's just really hard to see how you can go into a season. You, you know, you you can't even find a way where the secondary isn't awful this year. No. You know,
2: no. And and I heard Zach Berman, our colleague on the radio yesterday, mention that it wouldn't surprise him if the Eagles took a defensive end or wide receiver in the first round, a defensive end or wide receiver in the second round, depending on who they mm-hmm. took first. And a, not a cornerback until the third round. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is a deep cornerback draft, but it was a deep wide receiver draft in 2015 and they took Nelson Aguilar in the first round right You know that's the other part that we haven't even touched on in this discussion we're having is that their draft their recent draft history is spotty at right. best. and the idea that you're just going to be able to oh, it'll take up just a couple drafts to fill in those gaps. well, what if those couple drafts are 2010 and 2011? And the only real, true, viable NFL player you get out of those drafts is Brandon Graham, which is what happened in those two years. Yes. Then where are you? What
1: I the thing that during the Ruben Amaro regime, Mm -hmm. like the thing that always kind of bothered me was that everybody, and I think it's part of the reason why he lasted so long is every move that he made was made to like standing ovations because they were very impulsive moves again like you said they were moves the like fans would have made they weren't necessarily you know the the hard decisions that like good leaders usually have to make in like allocating resources towards five years three years you know they were all it was always let's get the best guy at our most glaring need and see what happens to
2: use another baseball analogy how how much criticism in St. Louis do you think the St. Louis Cardinals took for letting Albert Pujols walk away
1: exactly yeah. Um,
2: and it turned out it was a pretty smart thing to do
1: and they used to take a lot of criticism for not signing guys right. every year you know and and guess what they've they've built something there um this strikes me as the same kind of every move the eagles make mm-hmm. it's like the move that like a fan it's like oh we need a wide receiver let's go out and get alshon jeffrey well guess what they, they went out and got alshon, alshon jeffrey Jeff- we right. need a you know sam bradford you know isn't a winner let's go get a young quarterback let's trade it. do whatever mm-hmm. you can to get a young quarterback i'm not saying that that in and of itself is evidence that these are bad moves. I'm just saying that my experience covering not just sports, but like organizations in general is that, you know, put it this way. There's a reason why our founding fathers were petrified, terrified of doc, doc, democracy, pure democracy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because guess what? Wisdom of the crowd. They can
2: do some stupid things. It yeah, can lead to some really are, bad things. People are stupid. Yeah.
1: And, um, uh, you know, like there's a reason I I don't know that Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs are brilliant people. They're just not stupid, you know. <laughs> and you know, it, there's a reason why good vi- there's so few good visionary leaders in in the world because it's very hard to think two steps down the road instead of one step down yeah. the road. And I keep seeing these one step decisions out of this Eagles team. And when you hear Jeffrey Lurie talk, this is kind of this is this whole podcast has kind of been building up to this. <laughs> Like Hit it. Joe Douglas, like guys, guys like Joe Douglas might be two step thinkers, you know, like mm-hmm. they're good or they come from good organization. They're good organizational men. Even Howie Roseman, like his, his job is to sit down and be, you know, take a professional look at the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. You know what, dra- you know, he knows all this. Jeffrey Lurie essentially is a professional fan. You know, he, yeah. he bought this team so that he could have good cocktail parties and, you know, have something to do on Sunday, but like, he's not out. He's not sitting down and like, right, looking at things the way a professional, you know, leader looks at things. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he, he's not looking at it on a granular level. Like, no. he, he shakes, he's very much a fan. He's sitting he
2: shakes at, Carson Wentz's hand and right. and here's Carson Wentz say, "Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Lurie. How are you, he's, sir?" Uh, you know, let me tell you about my hunting trip. And then he watches him throw a couple right. of passes in, in practice and he thinks, this is our guy.
1: And that's what all most that's what the vast majority of owners are. You know, yeah. like they're they're right. like dilettantes, you know, and like they 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 he was screaming the same things you were screaming. During Chip Kelly's last year, and that's why he fired Chip Kelly. <laughs> he was OK with trading Kiko Alonso because he was doing the same thing you were doing. And that was, Kiko Alonso sucks. Get him out of here. Yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah, you know someone who has the baseline knowledge of having worked in football for a long time might have told you, "Hey, this guy's coming off a knee injury; like he actually might have some upside." Uh, and guess what? Like Kiko Alonso wasn't nearly as bad for yeah. the Dolphins last year. That was you know, pretty darn good. Um, you know, it's Jeffrey Lurie was saying the same things as you. Like, yeah, I think Sam Bradford, you know, he's a good passer, but like he just doesn't have that thing. You know, he's not. You know, he doesn't make me feel all tingly inside. Yeah. Well, guess what? Tingles are not a good. operating premise for an organization. That's right. And the biggest thing I took from Jeffrey Lurie's first press conference since all of this has gone down is that he very much is the agenda setter for this organization. And that was the first question Zach Berman asked him last night. It was the first question asked. And here's what he had to say about what exactly his role is now compared to previous years.
0: You want to give the resources and then let people make the decisions. And that's, I've always, you know, believed in that. Now, does that mean I don't ask a lot of questions? I love football and I've always, whether it's, uh, uh whether we're going to select Donovan McNabb or move up to take Carson or whatever we're doing, you know, uh, my, my role is to provide the resources, but I ask a lot of questions to create the final strategy that, uh, Our guys take
2: what I love football and I ask a lot of questions to basically set up the final strategy that our guys take
1: this was
0: the the last let me play that last part again Uh, my my role is to provide the resources but I ask a lot of questions to create the final strategy that uh, our guys take I
1: to create the final strategy that our guys take yeah. And I'm assuming a lot of our listeners have bosses. And that if a boss comes to you and says...
2: Something like, are we going to get a new a franchise quarterback out of this draft? What do we have to do to get a franchise quarterback? What, how much would we have to give up?
1: Yeah. Like...
2: Coming from your boss... Essentially, <laughs> he
1: said the questions that I ask are designed to... Chart the course, impact yeah. the final strategy that we take, and again, it, getting a quarterback is not a revolutionary strategy, and building him around him is not a revolutionary strategy. But if you're two, if you're two, you know, professional decision makers, Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman, are under the impression that they want you to follow path X instead of path Y, you view your job as to do the best possible job making path X the best possible path as possible and forget about path Y. Right. Right? Yeah. It's, I, if
2: Assume we're sitting in that. Assume it's Joe Douglas, Howie Roseman, and Jeffrey Lurie in that meeting room. Okay? And Jeffrey Lurie, they're going to talk about the long-term strategy of the Eagles. And if Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman come in and say, look, we need to shore up our defense first. You know, whoever we have at quarterback, Sam Bradford, Nick Foles, whoever the case may be, You know, we can get by with that guy, but the higher priority has to be: we need to get a better secondary, we need to improve the cornerbacks, we need to get an edge rusher, we need to be stouter at linebacker. And Jeffrey Lewis comes back and says, "Do you really think Nick Foles is good enough? Mm. Do you really think Sam Sam Bradford has that
1: it?" I mean, I think it's even more explicit. He said, "Ask questions," but I, you know, what I took from that is like, I let my guys make the decisions. I give them the resources. But I steer them in the direction that I want this thing right. to go. Right. Right. But that's like, what I'm saying. Get a that, quarterback. Yeah. Like it's not like. Do you think we should don't get you a quarterback? Think we, yeah. Don't
2: you think we need a quarterback?
1: A real right. quarterback. Right. Um And and that that's not a good. Uh, let me take that back. That's that's a dangerous way to run an organization because if the guy, if that one guy at the top who's not a professional football guy, who's not a professional decision maker, who frankly has not ever built anything in his entire life. <laughs> Uh and I don't begrudge him at all. I w- I would take his life in a sure, second. I'd take a billion like, dollars
2: without building anything.
1: Like he did, he's never, you know, he's never been a CEO. Right. Um uh, He's never you know, I sound like Obama now. He like, didn't build that. <laughs> um like that's because if that initial premise is wrong, then everything, everything else that follows it yeah. is going to be less than optimal right you know and if put it this way there's a reason why you know markets kind of there's markets work the way they work you know and it's it's kind of why it really annoys me when people like oh how i pulled a fast one getting alshon jeffrey to come here for 9.5 million dollars it's like no the market
2: the market told everyone else
1: decided they didn't want to pay 9.5 million dollars to come there for (laughs) a year you know and it's like uh, as much sense as the car, the whole macro strategy of this last year, as much sense as it makes coming out of Lurie's mouth, like you can see why it makes sense to him, mm-hmm. this whole strategy. There's a reason why they were the highest bidder. Right. For Carson Wentz, you know, like 31 other professional organizations decided it was not in their interests. Many of whom need quarterbacks decided it was not in their interest to, to trade through. what they did for Carson Wentz. Right most of the NFL knew Carson Wentz could be what the Eagles have seen. And I'm not saying they should go back and like do the trade over again. I'm just saying there's like a fundamental in everything that every way that they've built this team could be a little bit off, such as spending $7 million on Chase Daniel, you know, instead of spending it on someone else, you know? Um, Well, that's
2: the, that's the part that I think people miss. It's the whole
1: like quarter. I guess what I'm trying to say is their philosophy seems to be the quarterback is the only thing that matters. And surrounding him is the only thing that matters, instead of, you know, a quarterback the quarterback position can be a deal breaker.
2: Yeah, and and I think that the part that a lot of people miss is the trickle down effect of missing on those kinds of signings and other kinds of signings, you know, the trickle down that that those misses have. You know, you go out and get Nick Foles. Well, Nick Foles is a solid backup quarterback. Well the reason you got Nick Foles is because you needed to get rid of Chase Daniel because you needed to create That's salary right. cap space. Everybody's, you know, yesterday, if you were on social media and reading the coverage, oh, Chris Long is a smart signing for the Eagles, nice stopgap. Well, there's a reason you had to sign Chris Long, and part of it is because you gave Vinnie Curry five years, $47 million, and he's not getting to the quarterback, and you need someone who, who can. You know, you gave Connor Barwin a lot of money, and he didn't fit in the defense that you decided you wanted to run. Yeah. You know, every decision leads to the subsequent next decision. I'm still to kind of bring this full circle. I I am kind of amazed still at how much uh, anticipation and attention we pay to what a guy like Jeffrey Lurie says when, if you watch what, it's always more important to watch what an organization does as opposed to what they say, okay? Um, And this applies to any franchise, you know, any sports franchise, any real organization. Like, what do you value? It's nice that, you know, Jeffrey Lurie is so sanguine about the prospects of this team, but what's more telling is, A, what have they done, and B, what are they going to do? And if they go out to me, and they go out and, you know, yeah, they need an edge rusher. Uh, yeah they could use probably use help at wide receiver uh over the long term um but if they wait until the third round to get a cornerback i'm not, you know that's that's kind of telling to me and it you know part of the telling is boy you're really counting on that third round pick being really good and you and you being you finding a diamond in the rough when you've had a tough time finding diamonds when there are supposed to be a lot of diamonds around
1: if that makes sense it does make sense we'll see you next week